going through the Bible a book at a time, one Bible book each week. We want to get the big picture. Now, we're not going to churn through for 66 weeks in this same series. In fact, after Easter, we're going to jump into the book of Galatians, something about that in your bulletin. So we're going to do, we're going to do the book of Galatians for a few weeks. Then we'll return to this Route 66. This is the highway we're staying on, but now and again, you have to take a rest stop, right? So we're going through the Bible, Route 66, God 66, finding your way home. And sometimes we wonder, is there a way home? With what I've done, with where I've been, can I come home? I want you to think for a minute, uh, how, how does God look at the people outside our walls, our orbit, our circle, our, our realm of, of influence, family and friends, the people that are outside of faith in Christ, people that are doing bad things. How does God look at them? Is there any way that in God's view, if they are his children, they could come home? Well, I was struck because I was thinking of this theme in the in the passage that we're going to be at this morning, and I was reading this morning the prayer. We have this Clark County prayer guide, and there is just, there is just one week left. Do you realize that? If you don't have one of these yet, there are still, I've told, said this last week, but there are still just a few. I think I counted five still out in the information stand. If you don't have one of these yet, all you got to sign up for now is one week of praying. That's all. Just seven days you can do this, and if you miss a day, Just go ahead, take the prayer guide, and begin praying for our community. There's there's an interesting interesting start to the prayer, the scripture. It takes one of Paul's prayers each week, and we pray that in relation to our community around about us. And one of the things it'll ask you to do is to pray this prayer for the church, for another church today. In fact, even even on your way home, maybe, you'll, you'll drive by, you'll pull into the parking lot of another church, and you'll stop and pray for that church. But I want to pray this prayer for us. I want to pray this prayer for, for you this morning as we approach God's word. I want you to, to, to hear what God says about all of humanity as his family. All of humanity that God is inviting to come home. And that's the heartbeat of the book that's before us this morning. This prayer comes out of the book of Ephesians, but I want you to just close your eyes, bow your head as I pray for us, as I read Paul's prayer for you. Would you pray with me? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And Lord, we ask that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the means that God uses to to work his grace in us, to work that likeness of Christ in us, is as he shows us himself through his word. We approach the Bible oftentimes, we're looking for things we should do. And the Bible is mostly about, uh, the Bible is mostly not about us. 
The Bible is mostly about God. The Bible is mostly about God revealing himself to humanity through the person of his son. Now, last week, we were in the, in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges were, were, was a dark time in Israel's history. It was the time when uh, things were not well. There was no king over Israel, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. And we saw that things will not be right until Jesus comes. We need, we need a, a, a righteous and anointed, spirit-anointed king. And his name is Jesus. Things will not be right until Jesus comes, and yet God will use, God will work his right, God will work his grace and his mercy through those who believe in him, who trust in him. You see that sprinkled all through the book of Judges. And in the midst of those days of the Judges, as dark and unhappy and dismal and despairing as they were, we get a little cameo. There's a, there's a short story, a novelette, that follows the book of Judges. It's called the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is about Ruth, but the book of Ruth is about Naomi. It's Naomi's story that Ruth is one of those used to answer. We want to take the story just a chapter at a time because it's a compelling story, and if you know the end of it, try to put the ending aside for now. And try to experience this story as it unfolds. And I think there'll, there'll be some things that we can learn along the way. It starts like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. By the way, I'm in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, starting in, just starting reading in chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 187. And uh, there's some notes. There's a note page in your, in your bulletin that you can certainly use to follow along as well. In the days when the judges ruled, dark days, despairing days, there was a famine in the land. Why was there a famine in the land? Well, Deuteronomy 32 tells us that God said, I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence, deadly plague, because they have turned from me and they have chased after the idols of the land. And so God is using this to bring his people back to himself, to, to grab hold of them and to get their attention. They've departed from God. There was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah, a very important city later, a man in Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. His, main, his name, interesting, interestingly enough, means, my God is king. So my God is king, takes his family, his wife's name Naomi, which means pleasant, and the names of his two sons are Malon and Kilion, which mean sick and frail. Sickly and frail. So my God is king, takes his pleasant wife and his sick and frail sons, and he heads off to the land of Moab because there's a famine in the land. Now there are echoes that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham comes into this land that God had given him and he finds a famine in the land and off he goes to Egypt. There's an Abraham connection in this book, but even bigger, there is this, this is the land of promise. This is the land God gives us. This is the land flowing with milk and honey and now there's a famine in it because the people, as we see in the book of Judges, have departed from God. So we're seeing there's a, there's a consequences thing going on here. We're, we expect that. There's a God's judgment because of their actions thing going on. And we like that. We like that pole performance thing. That if I do this, well, bad things will happen. But if I do this, well, good things will happen. And we Americans seem to love that performance-based relationship. We use it with one another. 
try to live that way with God. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out so well. Well, my God is king, his pleasant wife, the, the, their, 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 their two sick and frail sons, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, that's where they belong, but they went into the country of Moab and remained there. They settled in there. It was meant to be a temporary journey, but it lasted a while. But Elimelech, my God is king, the husband of Pleasant, died in Moab. And she's left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. Oh, oh that, that can't be good. Taking foreign wives with, with foreign gods who are going to lead them away from the Lord. They're already a long way from the Lord. They have left the land. And if you're leaving the land from Bethlehem and you're going to Moab, how do you do that? You head back through the hill country. You go back by Jericho. You cross the Jordan and you turn south and you keep going. Wait a minute. That's the way they came from when they entered God's promise. And they are backing out. You see the picture? They're backing away from God's promise, and they're going back to their own way. They're headed to the desert. It's already not good. They took Moabite wives. The names of the, the, names of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. We don't know if it's 10 years total or 10 years after the sons married. It's, it's a while. They're there a while, and both Melon and Kilion died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. She is destitute. She has nothing left. Naomi has nothing. She doesn't have her husband. Well, when, when her husband dies, her sons will provide for her. There is no social security. There is no pension fund. But her, husband, her sons will provide for her. But her sick and frail sons have both died. What is she going to do now? Well, her daughters, her daughter-in-laws can go back to their families in Moab. They're not going to be received well in Israel, but they could go back to their own families. But Naomi can't go to their family. She has no claim there. What's going to happen to Naomi? God has left her with nothing. Well, Naomi hears that God has visited his people and giving them bread. Oh, boy, there's a suggestion there. The bread of heaven, the true bread of heaven that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Yes, God visited. God came near to us. God has visited his people and giving them bread. She, heard, she hears that the famine has been lifted and there is fruitfulness again back in the house of bread, Bethlehem. And so she sets out there. Oh, the daughter-in-laws come with her. And she says, no, don't come with me. There's nothing for you. I've got nothing to offer you. I have no sons that I could give you. There's nobody in there that's going to marry you. I don't have any more sons. I'm old. Even if I were to be with child and to, and to bear sons now, would you wait the, the 18, 20 years for them to grow up so that they could be your husband? There's no hope for you where I'm going. She has no hope for herself. She tells them, she tells them to, to go on back to your families and to your family's gods. She points here a daughter of Israel who knows the true and the living God, points these daughter-in-laws for their provision, for their being sustained in life. She points them back to the gods of Moab. That's where her hope is or isn't. Her hope is run out. Her hope is emptied. But Ruth, 
And, and I love this line. This line is special to me because years and years and years ago, a, a lot of years ago, there was a young lady, a beautiful young lady, in a ceremony, it was a wedding ceremony, said these words to me. And she said, where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Those were, those were part of our wedding ceremony. They're special words to me, and they are dear and deep words that Ruth offers to Naomi. She's going to be with her. She's sticking it out. She's in for the long haul. And Naomi says, whatever. And off they go. They arrive back in Bethlehem, and the ladies are looking. The women of the village are looking. Who is this? They don't even recognize her. It's been a hard 10 years. They don't even recognize her. Is this, is, is it Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty, God is in charge and God has done this. I went away full. I had a husband. I had my sons. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity against me? So Naomi returns, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. It's the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. Now that worthy man, or a man of valor, that's the same word that was used for several of the judges, the rescuers during the days of the judges. That's interesting. His name was Boaz. Let's pause for a minute. Grace in the midst of evil days. We live in evil days as well. And yet God's grace shows up there. Can I come home? Do I have any place to come? Naomi wonders, but she's nowhere else to go. But she doesn't expect anything good to come in Bethlehem. She has no claim remaining. She has a plot of land, but, but she has nobody to work it. She has no resources. She has no husband. She has no sons. You know, it's days like that when there's no claim. When, when love and mercy make the least sense, that's when love and mercy makes the most noise. When love and mercy is not at all deserved, that's when it's best shown off. That's when it's best noticed. And that's where God does it. And we're going to see that in the story. What's the, what does our faith look like? What does our hope look like in the face of a rejecting spouse, a prodigal child, a, a pushy and controlling friend? What does our, our hope look like when we get the diagnosis of that C word, cancer? What does peace from trusting God look like in the midst of financial ruin? What does what is it, the patience of trusting God look like in a horrible circumstance at work? When the bottom is dropped out and all seems empty and we thought God was going to do better for us than this. I've been good, I've played by the rules, or mostly, well, some. Surely I don't deserve this and that whole line of thinking that God has somehow cheated us of something that we deserve is exactly what God confronts. But look how graciously he does it. Chapter 2, Ruth the Moabitess says to Naomi, 
Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after whose sight in whom I shall find favor. What she's saying is this. There's a principle of gleaning. She's aware that this is part of the law of Israel, but this is the time of the judges, and we have no idea what's going to happen. We can't count on in the time of the judges of people even finding a safe place to stay the night. That's how the book ends. The book of Judges ends. So can we expect that a, a poor, defenseless young widow is going to be safe gleaning in the fields of strangers, picking up the, the, the bits of grain that were left after those who are harvesting have come through? They're supposed to leave the corners. They're supposed to leave something for the poor to come along in the fields after harvesting. But do they? Does that happen in Israel anymore in, in the times of the judges? We wonder that as she says, let me go in whatever fields I'll find favor. Ruth says, or rather his mother-in-law, Naomi, whatever. And so Ruth goes. And she happened to happen upon the fields that belonged to Boaz, that relative. And so there she is, and she's laboring away in the fields. Uh, and look, there's Boaz. Boaz is coming along into the, into, into he, he comes out to his field after Ruth has already been there laboring through the morning. She arrives early. She's working through the day. Stops only, only for a bit of water here and there and continues to work. And Boaz greets his, his workers. And, and, and this is encouraging. Boaz comes, comes out, and he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And those who are working in his field, those who are under his employ, his staff reply, the Lord bless you. Well, this is encouraging. This seems to be a place of faith. There seems to be a man of faith in the midst of the workplace, in the midst of a horrible time in Israel. Somebody, somebody has faith. And, and Ruth just happened, starting through the fields, going place to place, probably thrown out of several. She happens to happen upon this one. God is at work. And so Boaz asks his, his, um, his foreman, who's, who's that? Did he notice her? Did he say like, who's that? Well, we don't really know. I don't want to read too much into the story, but it is a romance. And so you know, the attendant describes who she is, where she's come from. She's the young widow who came back with Naomi. She's been working hard. What does he do? He invites her to lunch. He gives her a big helping of roast grain, which was kind of the staple food during the, during the harvest. He gives her so much more than she can eat, and she saves the rest after she's full. She saves the rest to take back to Naomi. Hmm. Boaz is providing not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi. He allows her to continue to, to not only work in his field, but to stay with the young women who are under his employ. He he. He, he tells his harvesters, the, the young men who are working for him, not to harass her, not to hassle her. Don't chase her away from where you stack up the grain after you've harvested. In fact, take some handfuls out of the bundle and just lay it there on the ground, easy for her to get to. He tells her, don't go to any other field. You stay right here. You follow along after my staff, and you'll be safe here. Ruth goes home. And she, she harvests that day. After she, after she beats it out, after she threshes the grain that she's harvested, she's got 30 pounds. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot for a day's casual gathering in the field. 30 pounds, that's enough to feed her and Naomi for, for, for many days, just out of one day's labor. It's been a great day of gleaning. Naomi can't believe it. 
what is this? How has this happened? Well, it happened through the convergence of providence and initiative. God is at work here. God is at work. God is the one who has directed Ruth to this particular field. But God has also working through people. There's initiative of Naomi to return to Bethlehem. There's the initiative of Ruth to say, I'm going to go out into the fields and glean wherever I'll find mercy. There's the initiative of Boaz who says, in the midst of the dark days of Judges, I will be merciful. He has no idea yet where that's going to go, how far that's going to reach, but he says, I will be merciful. There's a putting together that it, 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 there will be nothing good that happens if God does not work here. And yet, as God does his work, and amazingly God works, but amazingly he does it through people. People like us. Real people. Regular people. In fact, an outcast young widow who has no claim except upon the mercy of the people and the God of the land in which she has sought refuge. So she goes home and Naomi says, Who, whose field were you in? And watch this. The, the way the, it stretches out the name. The man's name from whom I work today is Boaz. It comes all the way at the end of that, of that sentence. It's stretched out on purpose because we're supposed to be, <gasps> and Naomi, her eyes get a little bigger. And she realizes there's something bigger at work here. There's a first glimmer of hope, I think, that comes to Naomi at this time. This man, she's, she's already blessed whoever it was that, 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 that Ruth had found grace from. But now she says this, she says, may the Lord, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. What that refers to is in Israel, if a woman was widowed, her husband dies, there aren't any sons yet, there aren't any heirs yet, then a brother could marry this woman. A near relative could marry this woman. And the first son that was born was not the son of the, of the new husband, but that son was raised up in the name of the brother or close relative who had died. So that his inheritance, his family name, is not wiped out from Israel. His family line continues in this manner. That's what's going on. Well, Naomi remembers, we have a redeemer. We have a near relative. He could do more than just share the grain from the harvest with us. Will he? We don't know. This is, after all, the days of the judges. But one of the things we see is sacrifice in the story. We see a family almost destroyed and wiped out. And yet, Boaz is giving. Ruth gives herself. Ruth lays aside her family connections back home and she gives herself to care for her mother-in-law. Boaz gives out of his resources and out of his wealth, he gives sacrificially in order to look after this young woman, this young widow, but also her mother-in-law. Sacrifice for God's glory. Sacrifice for others matters. Write this down. Your sacrifice for others matters. If for nothing more than this, your sacrifice matters because it shows off God's glory. It shows God's character toward us. 
when I give of myself in a sacrificial way for the sake of somebody else rather than my own benefit, that shows what God looks like because that's what he did for us. Boaz giving of himself for her, and we'll see more of that as the story develops. That shows off not merely Boaz's character. It, Boaz is a great and godly man because he looks something like his God here. He gives out of his resources for them. We see it in Ruth. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, okay, so the, the harvest has gone on. She's continued back, back with Boaz in his fields every day. The, the harvest has gone on, but now we've come to the end of harvest. We've come to the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. It's been a couple of months of harvesting in the fields. If she did 30 pounds a day, she's probably got a lot of bags of grain stored up. But what next? What now? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. That's what happens next. Naomi says, hmm, my daughter, in chapter 3, shouldn't I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now Naomi is finally looking outside herself, and she's looking at Ruth. What can she do for Ruth? Ruth is an outsider. Ruth has no claim. She says, my daughter, shouldn't I seek your best? Shouldn't I seek your welfare? Oh, I love that. At a time in the days of judges where each one does what seems right in his own eyes, but it's not right. Each one does what seems best for his own good, but it's not best and it's not good. But Naomi is now seeking what is best for somebody else other, rather than bemoaning her own situation. Shouldn't I seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Isn't Boaz our relative whose young women you were with? That's, who, that's whose field you were in? Look, he's harvesting his barley. He's threshing his barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself now, therefore. Well, yeah, it's been two months of harvest. It's time for a bath. Sorry, ladies. Wash yourself, therefore. Anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Get dressed up. Put some perfume on and go down there. Hmm. Spend a little time in front of the mirror and then go on down to the threshing floor because that's where he is. But don't, don't make yourself known to the man right away. Wait till he has finished eating and drinking after he's done his work and he has his dinner and he has a little wine. And then he's going to fall asleep. And when he falls asleep, do this very weird thing. Now, ladies, I'm not sure if this is the way to catch a guy or not, but let's just go with the story, okay? After he has fallen asleep, you slip up there and fold back the cover of his, bl the, the, the edge of his blanket covering his feet. Fold that back over. Uncover his feet. And then lay down there at his feet. Now, some of you are thinking, this sounds a little shady. Is this a, a euphemism for something more than that? Some commentators have all kinds of fun with this section. No, I think it's just that. Men, have you ever had one of those nights where you're kicking and turning around a little bit, pulling the covers up, and along the way, the covers get pulled up over your feet? And it's a cool winter eve, and your feet are sticking out the end of the bed, and what happens? You wake up. And that's what happens to Boaz in the middle of the night because his feet are uncovered. And it's a cool evening. Boaz wakes up. And there's a woman at his feet. And that's a little weird. And so he says, who is this woman at my feet? And she says, I'm Ruth. She, she identifies herself as the Ruth. Let me see. Let me get back to the story. Midnight, the man startled. He turns over, beholds a woman, lays at his feet. Well, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. 
Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The same word that he said, may the Lord bless you under whose wings you have sought refuge. Now he says, you be God's wings. You be the one to put God's shelter over me. It's a marriage proposal. I don't know if this was a leap year when the women can do that or, or, or something, but, but that's what it is. It's an appeal for him to take the role of the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, a close relative who can redeem, who could, who could take her as, as husband to her in order to raise up a child that would carry on the inheritance. That's what she's asking for here. She's asking big. If you're going to ask, I guess you ask big. And she asks big. And he says, oh, that'll be wonderful. He's already looked into the matter, it seems like, and he says, you know, there's only one problem here. There's somebody else. There's always somebody else. No, not another woman. There's another man. There's another relative that's closer in family connection than he is, and this other guy would have first claim. Oh, no. Here's this beautiful blossoming romance of Ruth and Boaz, and it's so sweet. You just want it to happen, but... There's this other guy. He's got a closer claim. That mattered because basically when you, when you redeemed, you also received the land inheritance as part of your land. That, those fields became part of your fields, and, and, and fields were standing. It's kind of like your car or the size of your house. The size of your fields in Israel was everything. And so, yeah, this other guy, he might want these fields. So Boaz sends her home, piles a whole bunch of grain on her. She carries it home on her head, about 60 pounds. And he's telling her and Naomi something by that. He's going to provide for them. And Ruth comes back to Naomi in the morning. Her honor has been protected through all this. Don't let it get around that the woman came to me. He wants to keep this under wraps until the deal is secure. Boaz, early the next morning, he heads to the city gate. The city gate is the, is the place in Israel well, where things are decided, where things are worked out. It's kind of like going down to the county clerk, going down to the courthouse. City gate, every, the elders hang out there. I guess the elders don't do much work. The elders hang out, sipping coffee at the city gate, and people going in and out, going off to their fields, they're going to pass through. Boaz is hanging there, and he gathers some elders together, and they're ready, and old what's-his-name comes by. And that's actually what he's called. We're never even told who this other guy is is he's that insignificant but old what's his name comes by and boaz says hey excuse me excuse me hey my friend oh what's your name Uh, come on over here we got something to talk about he comes on over and he says you know that uh, naomi the wife of elimelech our brother has returned from moab and she's selling the field that once belonged to elimelech and i wanted to tell you that that you're first in line to buy it and there's nobody else after you before me so i'm basically here to tell you that you have a chance to buy it but if you turn it down that's why i'm asking you because i want to buy it and oh, what's his name says oh yeah naomi's got a field well, one thing he knows about Naomi is she's an older lady by this time, and she's not going to have a son. She's not going to have an heir. That He's, he's going to get this field. He's going to buy the field, and it's going to increase the size of his holdings. Oh, yeah, he can look after Naomi if that's necessary as well. But basically, he's buying the field from Naomi, and by the purchase price, she'll look after herself. That all sounds great. He's, he's all for it. And then the other shoe drops. And he says, well, at the same time you acquire the field, in front of all these witnesses in the city gate, the same time you you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you also get the young widow of her son. 
oh, well, that changes things. She says, I'm not sure I'm up for that because now what's involved? I'm going to buy the field from Naomi. I'm going to pay her my money for the field. I'm going to look after the field. I'm going to raise up a son from the young widow. And when he grows up, he gets the field. In fact, he might even lay some claim on my property, but certainly he's going to get the field that I paid the money to Naomi for. And he's not quite for that. He was willing to buy the field. He was willing to redeem the land, but he was not able or not willing to do anything for her. There's a picture here of law and of grace. The idea of our performance versus God's mercy. The law was able to redeem the land. The law is able to protect the land. And when Israel does well, they will be in the land. And when Israel does not do well, they will be out of the land. Voluntarily or involuntarily. They will not, when they don't do well, they will not um, enjoy God's blessing. When they don't give the land its Sabbath rest, for instance, God's going to keep up and God's going to look after that land. And he's going to give it ultimately 70 years of Sabbath rest. God's going to look after this land. The land is part of a law covenant to Israel. But the law could not help a woman like Ruth. Had no place for her. The law had no means to redeem Ruth. She had no claim. It could say that a Moabite was not, a Moabitess as a Moabite was not allowed in the congregation of Israel. But she wasn't really a Moabite any longer. She had married in. She had become a child of Israel. Your people will be my people. She had joined herself to Israel. A stranger had joined herself to them. And Boaz comes along, and he gives himself. He's a near kinsman. He gives himself to redeem Ruth. And they have a child. Let me cut to the end of the story because our time is slipping away from us. They, they have a son together, Ruth and Boaz. The son's name is Obed. And everybody's happy, everybody's rejoicing. May your son be like a Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. And may your son be like the sons of Rachel and Leah. And just may all of Israel grow and be blessed out of this son that you have had. Boy, that's a pretty big ask for the son of a, of a fairly well-to-do guy and a Moabitess widow in the little village of Bethlehem. And yet, Boaz has given himself to this young widow who's not even from Israel. She's certainly not from the best of families. He's given himself to her to provide for her. And in providing for her, he's going to restore an inheritance that was lost, that was abandoned, that was walked away from. And I hope you see this point. That's what God has done for us. Humanity walked away from our inheritance from God. Humanity walked away from it. And God sent a redeemer. He sent a kinsman, somebody who would also be human, but good, righteous, what we could not provide ourselves. God sent into humanity his own son who would then die in our place in order that he would restore an inheritance that we had lost. He would restore that which God had initially blessed us with but we had turned away from. And he, 
by stepping in and identifying himself with us, humbling himself to identify with us, he restores back to us, which we had lost and had no, no more claim to on our own. That's the story of Boaz and Ruth. That's what's going on. Boaz is beautiful in this story because Boaz pictures the Son of God who is our kinsman redeemer, our near relative redeemer because though he is God himself, he is God in flesh, he took on the fullness of humanity. He's every bit as human as you and I so that he can be the one to die in our place in order to restore to us the inheritance that was lost. That's what's going on. There is a Redeemer so that you who were once far off, as it were in Moab, can come home by the blood of Christ. It's amazing in the days of the judges when Moab had so recently oppressed Israel for 18 years. Moab was, was remember Moab was the oppressor when Ehud, the left-handed judge, a story we talked about last week. Moab was the oppressor. And yet so soon after that, a Moabite woman can be received, can be reconciled. Where did the people of Moab come from? Well, centuries earlier, Lot had departed from Abraham. Lot had departed from Abraham, and he'd gone off towards Sodom, and he actually ended up settling in Sodom. God's judgment eventually comes upon Sodom. And, Mo- and, and Lot and his family barely escape, but out of out of uh, relations with his two daughters, the, the, the people of Moab and another people, that's where they emerged from. Lot had separated from Abraham and God's blessings upon Abraham, and Moab eventually comes out of the dysfunctional, disastrous as- aftermath of that. A people separated from God's blessing. And now through this young Moabite woman, through this young Moabite widow, she's joined again into the people of Israel. She's joined again into the promise of Abraham, and Abraham had been promised that kings would descend from him. Oh, did I forget to tell you? Obed, their son, was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, that grandson, was the father of David through a Moabite woman descended from a people that had separated themselves from the blessings of Abraham, God brings her back and through her and Boaz restores that promise to Abraham that kings would come from him and not only kings but the righteous anointed king the people longed for. That's the story of the book of Ruth. In the darkest days of the judges, a daughter of Moab has found refuge again in the promise of Abraham, and the promise to Abraham will continue to be fulfilled even through her. We want to ask, why doesn't God prevent evil? Why doesn't God prevent things like judges? Why doesn't God prevent things like Elimelech dying, the brothers dying? Why, when... Why doesn't God prevent evil when actually it's humanity that has chosen to know Satan's evil as well as God's good? We follow Satan's distractions when he shouts, look, look, if God is good, why does God allow these kind of things to happen in your lives? Have you ever thought like that? You have too. I have. We have. What we're doing is, is we're following Satan's distractions. It's like when Caesar Nero blamed the Christians for his burning of Rome. 
So the devil dares to blame God for his own evil destruction in humanity. This is to distract us away from seeing instead. Look at the beauty that God has restored from the ashes of what the devil has tried to burn down. The spirit of the living God just keeps working grace. The spirit of the living God keeps bringing life out of death. God keeps restoring what was lost and reconciling those who were far off and bringing them home. That's the story of the book of Ruth. And one final plot twist. At the end of the story, you have the giving of a son to Naomi, not to Ruth. The son that is born to Boaz and Naomi is actually the son given to Naomi to be her redeemer, to renew her life, to sustain her. In a greater way, God gave her his son to be your redeemer and mine. He's human like you. He lived as you and I do. He died in our place. And even in his death, this son will, even in his death, this son provides a place for Naomi. Even in death, God's son provides a place for you and I. Because I have a redeemer, no matter what I've done, I can come home. Because you have a redeemer, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can come home. It's not out of our performance. It's not out of what we've done. It's all from God's mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, the story is rich. The story is is beautiful to us just on a human level. One person to another, showing love, compassion, and mercy. And Father, that's what we need to show to others because it's there that they will get a glimpse through mercy and compassion. They'll get a glimpse of what you're like. Father, that's what we want more than anything else. Lord, there are people around us who need to know that they too can come home. Father, there's not a one of us in this room that doesn't need to know more fully that it's not out of what we do, it's not out of how well we perform or measure up, it's not even out of what we give, even though now we will give in worship. We'll receive offerings now for you and for your glory. And yet, it's none of that that causes our acceptance before you. But that acceptance before you, that embrace by our loving God of his, of his own children, is because you loved us and gave your son for us. And so it's in his name today that we pray. And all who believe said, amen. As the ushers come forward, uh, just... <clears throat>